I'm Graham Lynch. This is Comms Day Live. Welcome to the show. Well, today we're going to be doing a deep dive on artificial intelligence, what it's doing in the market, and particularly how it impacts on telcos. We're going to be getting two perspectives on AI, one from Juniper Networks and one from Amdocs. So we'll start off with Amdocs. Um, pleased to introduce... Anthony Gunatiliki, he's the Group President of Technology and Head of Strategy from Amdocs in, in the United States. He's visiting Australia. Welcome to the show, Anthony. And, and do I detect a bit of an Australian accent there? I, I am I'm from Australia, yeah. uh, but been living uh, in the US for, I would say, the last uh, 23 years. Had a little stint back in Australia and uh, Missed a little bit of the action, so I went back over there. But yeah. yes, yes, I okay. love Australia. Can't can't get away. Okay, so you, you're based in um, Texas, I understand. Yes, Is that right? yeah. uh, the great state of Texas, as they say. Indeed, the Republic of Texas. <laughs> it's a country by itself. <laughs> okay, now for, for our listeners, not everyone's familiar with Amdocs. You know, it's a, it's a name that's around, but it's, it's in a niche part of the sector. So not everyone's familiar. So just before we start, give me a bit of an outline of Amdocs and, and sure. what the company's all about. Yeah, so we're a company... A little bit over 40 years old, we serve all service providers worldwide. So starting from kind of tier zero, tier one, the AT&Ts, T-Mobile, Verizon, to Telstra, Optus, Singtel, Vodafone, Telefonica. We kind of serve the big guys. Um, we focus on a few different things. So primarily customer experience. So really just taking the friction out of the way you work, the way you connect, the way you get cared for, the way you get billed. Um, and trying to essentially, you know, make connectivity ubiquitous uh, globally. Um, you know, the tagline that I use is on a, on a daily basis, we're touching around a little over two and a half billion customers, consumers worldwide in some shape or form are touching an Amdoc system or interacting with an Amdoc system. Um, so that, that's a little bit like our tagline. We have 30 odd thousand employees in over 90 countries uh, globally, worldwide. Um, and, and that's what we do. Okay. Tell me about um, in the ANZ region, Australia, New Zealand. Yep. Um, t t tell me about what Amdocs is doing here. Yeah, so we, we're also here. We're working with uh, clearly, you know, the big big service providers, um, helping them roll out 5G, helping them automate their network, helping them deliver to enterprises. Um, and, and it's the same. I, I would say there is a single mission worldwide, right? Um, deploy connectivity deploy it seamlessly, provide the best coverage, take away, you know, black spots. I mean, coming from Australia, you know, I have this passion for, I, I guess, for the lack of a better phrase, this kind of rural lack of connectivity, um, given that Australia is such a large country. But this problem also exists uh, in America. Like, this problem exists in cities. Um, this problem ex exists, I mean, especially in a, I would say, a post-COVID world, connectivity became the backbone of society. So if you don't have great broadband, great connectivity, what it starts to do is starts to create this digital divide. So us as an industry, you know, we're super focused on making sure that connectivity is accessible, is deployed, it's available all over the place, right? I mean, you know, uh, I, I remember back in the day, you know, uh, if you wanted good, you, you'd say, well, I have a meeting, so I need to go into work, so I have good connectivity. But it's not the case today, right? Uh, Sometimes I'll stay at home in the U.S. because I want better connectivity. Um, and people have come to expect this. I mean, um, I, in the U.S. we have this concept uh, called carpool lines where, you know, the parents come to pick up the kids and line up. 
And the other day I was just observing, you know, so it's a huge carpool line to my, my daughter's school. And while driving past it, I was watching, I counted, I would say, close to 10 parents parked, waiting to pick up their kids, obviously, but on a Zoom call, like doing some type of work. So, so think about this. You're working from home, you're working from your office, you're working on the road, and people just come to expect this. So I think this is really the, the new norm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Actually, amusing too. Um, now, the reason you're in Australia, I understand, is to talk about um, the impact of artificial intelligence with, with your customers here. Um, so, tell us what you're thinking is there. I mean, AI. We hear a lot about it. Yep. You know, it's become a bit of a, a mass media thing. You know, obviously. Um, you know, it, it's something that's talked about in in, in, in uh, on a mass market basis, and not always in a positive way. Um, and obviously, we've seen things like ChatGPT and 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 some of the revolutionary um, attributes they bring into basic stuff like internet search and so on. So, what what does AI mean for a telco? And and what's your thinking on on the disruptions that it's causing there? Sure, and maybe maybe you know I'll take a take a little step back here for a second. Um, I have been a technologist all my life from, you know, um, as, as early as, as I can remember. I think, you know, my, my father buy me my first computer when I was, I think, maybe like seven years old or something like that. You know, I would say if I had to rank it, generative AI is probably up there with um, computers, the internet, and generative AI. And it sounds, you know... Like people, people, I'm sure people listening to this go, okay, okay. I mean, I've heard that before, right? We, we see all these technologies come and go. But we are just at the dawn of generative AI. And some of the possibilities and things that it can do, we haven't even, even imagined yet. And, you know, as I, I work very closely with some of the big guys, so, you know, next week we have a, a session with OpenAI out in San Francisco, you know, working with Microsoft, NVIDIA, you know, these are like at the forefront of generative AI. Everyone is just so excited at the possibilities it brings to the table. Now, of course, the, the flip side of it, I would say, is people are also concerned, right? People are like, okay, what does this mean for my jobs, right? What is it going to replace? And, and you see all these scary, crazy things being said about, you know, there, there's bias concerns, you know, about generative AI because whatever you teach it, it's going to put out on the other side in some shape or form. But I, I believe, look, th these concerns were there when computers were invented, right? These concerns were there when the internet. I remember, you know, talking about kind of my, my background in Australia. I went to uh, college, or as they say, to university. I should, I should uh, not mix my American-Australian words. But I went to university over here in Australia. Shout out to uh, VUT over in Footscray there. Um, I remember being so excited the first day, first time I discovered, like, how to connect via IP to a computer over in America, right? I was, I'm telling you, this was like the early, early 90s, the early days of the internet. I mean, I could not believe that I could do that, right? And, and this opened up like, you know, I guess my career, my journey in terms of um, where I would go. And I am as excited about generative AI and the possibilities it brings to the table um, all the way from, you know, Microsoft um, announced, I think it was yesterday, that they're working with a company um, around cancer research using generative AI. Um, you know, the, the possibilities and the industries that it can impact are endless. Now, of course, absolutely, there are going to be jobs that are 
automated or made easy or, or quote-unquote kind of made redundant. But this has always happened throughout our history, right? So I think it's up to all of us. Look, generative AI is not just for those people. <laughs> and I use those people in quotes, right? I think all of us can use it in different ways. Um, you know, we were going on a, a vacation, um, I think, in July. And, uh, you know, usually my wife puts this amazing itinerary together on what we're doing, where we're going, all of this stuff. Um, just went on, you know, uh, ChatGPT and created a very detailed itinerary, a 10-day itinerary. And we gave it all like the prompt was like, hey, we really love the beach. So very beach focused. Here's the type of cuisine we like, like all sorts of information. And it spat out a, a very detailed itinerary, right? Now, you need to verify it. You need to make sure these things are still open. The information is a little bit older. There's all sorts of, I would say, disclaimers. But 75% of the work was done, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, look, there are going to be so many jobs created, like prompt engineering, uh, people that know how to embrace this technology. Um, I, I would say there's going to be almost two types of folks, the ones that embrace it and the ones that fight against it. But, you know, as someone once told me, um, sometimes uh, there is no world power uh, that can stop an economic principle when its time has come. Yeah, I think, I think that's a very, very um, salient observation there. Um, <laughs> Um, now, in ter terms of, of how AI will impact telcos, it seems to me that the first obvious place that it, that it will have a very transformative effect is in interfacing with customers, mm -hmm. you know, the, you know the, the basic thing, you know, being able to have an automated chat and sure, so on. But, sure. but actually, it, it, I say automated, that's probably the wrong word because yeah. in a sense, what AI really offers is that personalization. That's right. Yeah. So, tell us about what you're seeing there. Yeah, look, I think... I think that's an interesting and a lot of people are doing all sorts of chats, but that's not, I, I would say that's not where my excitement is, right? My excitement is hearing stories of someone, you know, a month ago I spoke to this lady that started her own business, had no idea about coding or anything like that, just went out there, watched a few YouTube videos, created her own iPhone app. I mean, she literally had no background in coding and she created an iOS app using generative AI. You know, I mean, that to me is a game changer that is amazing. It democratizes technology, right? So, so I mean, yes, I'm a, a geek and I come from a technology background, so maybe my bias is skewed. But, but, but again, I, I think, you know, our job, if we can take technology and not make it for a few, but make it for the masses, it's a good day. I talk to a lot of telcos about AI and... One of the things they're quite excited about is how AI can help them run their networks, yep. and particularly in terms of things like diagnostics yep. and predicting failure. So, is Amdocs sort of playing in that space? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, look, I think um, I, I remember <laughs> I remember being in the US and reading an article about um, not not this last uh, the 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 women's soccer cup, but the but the one before that about some kind of issue around streaming. And, you know, I saw like the prime minister get involved and say something about it. And, and I was like, wow, we've come to the stage where, you know, people are so dependent on connectivity, right? Um, it's no longer an optional thing. Um, and, and so if there is anything we can do to predict failure, to automate it, to detect it, 
Um, again, I think that's all a, a positive. Look, we're, we're doing things. We did a, um, an interesting proof of concept with a provider over in the US and Chicago where you know, they were looking at how to deploy connectivity spectrum. And, and you know, for, your, for your listeners who are not familiar with it, it's, think about how to deploy bandwidth to places where there are people, right? Now, the interesting thing was, let's say you have X bandwidth, right? Like a fixed amount of bandwidth. So you can deploy it in a certain place. But what if, and I'm sure it happens in Sydney as well, like you look at the trajectory of the day, in the morning you have people coming in on the train, on the ferry, right, coming in in different parts. At lunchtime you get people going to where cafeterias are, restaurants are, right, and in the evening they're back on the commute going back home, right? Now what if you can dynamically change this deployment of spectrum and provide broadband in different places at different times of the day, and again, contextualize it, right, to where, where the masses are, so we provide the best connectivity possible, right? So this is one example that we think, you know, is phenomenal. The other one is more of a, you know, as we generative AI rolls out, you know, there are a lot of concerns around the amount of power it consumes, right? So this is something that as technologists, we're very, very focused on because um, all of the stuff we've been doing out, up until now, you know, around kind of ESG and the environment and global warming, it's just kind of thrown out the door, right? I mean, I've just lived through a summer in Texas where I think for the last three months, it's been 40 plus degrees, 24 hours of the day, right? So clearly you can't deny that there's something going on. So again, it's up to us to think about how we can use generative AI to kind of impact this. And one of the other examples is, now think of that same spectrum I was talking about. Think about nighttime, right? So during nighttime, maybe there are certain areas like those cafes and restaurants that there are no people that you could shut radios down and dynamically change the power allocation and monitor it, right? So there's all sorts of interesting use cases, interesting aspects where generative AI can come into play. One of the, one of the things I think that we need to be careful is there's going to be many people that kind of point to generative AI and use examples and say, aha, like, here's where it's screwing up, right? Like, oh, look at what it's, what it's doing over here. But we're in very early days. You know, guardrails are still being put into place. You know, I talk about kind of the generative AI bias, right? And this is a, a big topic. It's not spoken about enough. Um, so when I say generative AI bias, think about generative AI. These are trained models. These are data that you put in. You tag it. You train it. You you allow it to think or in a certain way. But the problem is you take human bias or a certain amount of human subconscious bias, and this gets magnified when it comes to generative AI, right? So we need to be very, very careful on how we're training these models, how we're putting guardrails. And, and one other thing, which is where MDocs is very focused on, on our kind of our generative AI platform, what we call observability. If you're getting to a conclusion what data did you use to get to that conclusion, right? It can't just be a black box and you're like, hey, like the data came from somewhere, I just believe it. Um, but, but these are, you know, just some of the things you need to take into consideration. Yeah, as I say, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, now, while I've got you here, um, I, I wanted to change the subject just for yeah. a, a last topic of discussion. And uh, I want to talk about 5G because Amdocs is in an interesting position worldwide in that you're dealing with a lot of service providers, in all sorts of disparate markets mm -hmm. or using the same technology yep. pretty much because there's only three companies in the world that make 5G. Yep. 
It's, it's a pretty standardised experience. What are you seeing with 5G? What are, what are the developments there that have surprised you and that we need to be looking out for in the next few years? Yeah, look, the, the, to begin with, I think the most interesting one, I think, is 5G is bringing connectivity to levels of home broadband or fixed broadband, right? So you see what we call kind of this notion of, we've had a vision in the industry of what I call ubiquitous connectivity. Right, just connect me. Doesn't matter where I am. Doesn't matter where I go. Just connect me. And and you know, I, I I'm sure you know those have heard me speak before. Have heard me use this example, but it's my favorite example of my daughter when she was seven years old. Uh, we were on a connection in an airport. She opens up her MacBook and she slams it shut and she says, "It's not working." And I was like, "What do you mean it's not working?" Like it was like three or four months old, right? And she goes, "Well." It's not working. So I open it up. I log in. Everything looks fine. There's no issue. I go, it's fine. She goes, there's no internet access. It's not working. This is the definition of the next generation, right? Um, not working means not connected, right? So whether it's your phone, your iPad, your computer, your car, everything is kind of living in, I would say, this connected world. So this notion of ubiquitous connectivity is really accelerated when you talk about 5G and what 5G brings to the table. Um, you know, some of the examples in the US, you know, one of the earliest, I would say, examples is around fixed wireless. Um, I know same in Australia. I know Telstra and, and many others are working working on it here as well. Um, there is a big influx of fixed wireless customers in the US. For example, T-Mobile um, right now is one of the fastest growing in the US, primarily driven by fixed wireless access and people accessing it. So I think this is the first thing. The second thing to watch out for is, and I think you will see this not just in 5G, but also accelerating as 6G kind of rolls out. And I know people are like, oh, no, now we're already talking about 6G. But this notion of you can do different things. Connectivity historically was built just for cellular phones, right? Today it's for IoT. Today you can create what we call slices, which is a dedicated network slice for a specific reason. Um, you know, we, we are partnering with many companies. We have a 5G lab in Dallas um, for like medical operations so people can observe and participate and things like that. Um, orchards, you know, we have this fantastic example of, I mean, it's literally a farmer out in Washington state. Um, they have these drones that basically fly out, take very high definition photos of the entire field, right? Farmer gets up in the morning these photos are then uploaded, uploaded to an edge cloud, analyzed, and he has a, basically has an online dashboard once he gets up while he's having his coffee to point him to where the fruit needs to be picked in which areas first and what needs to be watered more. Like these were all experience factors, right? But now you have the data, you have the analytics to optimize yield and things like that. And the funny thing is, you know, he... In this example, there's literally a big red barn with edge computing on the side there. So I think even traditional things such as farming, and this is where I think, you know, there is some great potential for Australia when you couple generative AI capabilities, connectivity capabilities. You know, I always kind of say, you know, Australia was always known as the clever country, right? And I think, uh, you know, it's time to just accelerate and double down because I think it's so important to grab these connectivities, stitch them together. You know, one thing I hadn't touched on, which is also a very interesting technology, is eSIM. eSIM is basically getting rid of the 
Remember those plastic little SIM cards we had that used to pop in and out of phones and stuff like that? Um, but this means that now it's software deployed and you can provide connectivity into many things seamlessly. So you start to marry cloud, 5G, generative AI, eSIM technology, and think of it like Lego building blocks and you can start to build some amazing innovations with that. Okay, well, unfortunately, our time has run out. So thanks very much for coming in. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, moving on, as I said at the top of the show, we're going to get a perspective from Juniper Networks on AI. And... Um, Pleased to introduce Christian Gilby. He's the Senior Director of Product Marketing for AI-Driven Enterprise at Juniper, traveling here to Australia from Silicon Valley. And uh, Christian, I understand you're here to speak at a Gartner Symposium in Queensland next week. What, what's your message for them? Yeah, so I, uh, I'm leading a panel. So we've got uh, three customers coming in. Um, really to talk about, you know, some of their experiences they've seen from from leveraging our AI driven solutions. Um, so really excited to to hear what they've got to say. I've I've talked to some of them before. Um, so yeah, really exciting. Okay, so tell me um, about those AI solutions. Um, Juniper has been a little quiet, at least in the Australian media in the, in the last few years. We haven't really been having a lot of conversations with you, but clearly you've been working on AI, integrating it into your vision for networking. T tell us about how AI is working with, with your product portfolio. Yeah, so our, our vision is really to be a leader in secure AI-driven networks. Um, and ultimately the outcomes that we're really driving for customers are two. One is to deliver a better experience for users, so users of the network. And then the second is to really simplify network operations for IT teams, especially, you know, over the past couple of years, you know, our customers have seen more and more devices coming into the network. One of the challenges is, you know, if, if budgets are flat or even compressed, how do you support more devices, more apps coming on? And that's where we're, we're leveraging AI um, to actually make it easier to, to run the network, basically get that insight when issues happen, um, be it a device or the network, proactively find the root cause. So help IT teams to, to resolve issues. Okay, can you give me a real world example of, of where AI may benefit? You're describing a sort of BYOD environment, you know, all sorts of mobile phones, laptops, desktops connecting to something. What, what difference does AI make compared to a, a pre-AI network management paradigm? Yeah, so there's there's a couple big areas. I mean, one is, um, especially as you get more and more IoT coming into the landscape, we've seen a lot of customers, um, you know, one good example I can think of is a large online retailer. So they're using robotics a lot to actually move product and, and get products shipped out quickly. One of the challenges they were facing with their prior vendor that didn't leverage AI was the robots would hit an issue. For example, they're roaming between Wi-Fi access points as they move around the distribution center, they lose the connection, and they just stop moving because they've lost their connection. And, you know, the customer wouldn't realize the problem until, you know, 10, 20 minutes later when they see all the robots on the floor stop moving because, you know, once they detect one stop, they all stop so they don't collide. 
Um, and since they, you know, they did a pilot, now they've actually rolled out widely is when there's an issue, the AI system actually detects something's wrong and then actually reports that to the IT team so they can quickly resolve it. I mean, another great example of that is one of our customers who's per public service now, you know, they've cut down the end user open help desk tickets by over 90%. They're still having problems, right? I mean, people still hit issues, right? There's lots of moving parts, but the, you know, our missed AI is able to detect these issues, alert IT, and they can go fix it before people, in most cases, realize there's even a problem. Okay, sorry, go on. Okay, um, so yeah. what about in the telco environment? We have a lot of telcos who read comms day. Um, how is AI making a difference in terms of managing networks at that type of scale? Yes, I mean, we've got quite a few, you know, of our, our partners in the telecom space who are actually rolling out managed services. Um, and this is where it's a, a big thing for them. So like in a managed service scenario, you know, the telco is actually, you know, they're taking a solution, they're selling it to the end um, customers. And then they're running the network for them in most cases, right? So a challenge for them is they don't have IT staff on site, right? If you're running, you know, multiple customers, um, that is where I think, you know, AI is a game changer. So they're able to, you know, detect issues before they they happen. I mean, one of the, the big things in, in our solution, when it detects an issue, it'll actually go and pack, capture the data to actually troubleshoot it. For example, you know, one of our customers, a, a large global retailer, The Gap, their, their studies up on our, our website, um, they've cut down the visits to the, the remote stores by over 85%. So basically when there's an issue, the system actually captures the wireless trace so that an IT engineer could actually go troubleshoot the issue, effectively rolling back time, you know, not having to do a truck roll to go send somebody on site to go get an employee to go reproduce the issue to go troubleshoot it. Okay, so outside of troubleshooting, and I guess comp compressing time to resolution yep. of issues, where do you see AI making a difference in networking? Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the big things in, in the wireless space is, um, you know, you have to optimize the channels. So there's multiple RF channels. You need to tune the channel settings and then the power. So this is where we're using reinforcement learning to optimize the channels. So let's say some interference comes in, it impacts the performance, the user experience, we will actually then go adjust the wireless settings automatically without an IT engineer going and doing a configuration. So I think that's a big one is optimizing the network. So leveraging AI to monitor and learn and then tune the network. Um, another example is, you know, on the wired space, which we've seen customers leveraging this is AI can actually identify problems again before you know there's a problem. So we had a large retailer who they had gone and rolled out on the wired network. And we have this capability which detects four configurations. So it actually detected a missing VLAN tag. Um, on the switch network, it detected it on 19 ports, 19 of about 38,000. So it was a needle in the haystack type of problem. You know, the customer said we, you know, we had problems. We were just not able to troubleshoot what the root cause was. So I think that's, you know, capabilities like that are huge, especially when you scale it up to a telco because um, of the size of networks that they're actually running. 
being able to have that, you know, automated insight um, into the network is big. I think the other one is, you know, predicting um, demands on the network. For example, if you're seeing the bandwidth start to soar and how is it trending, be able to identify that trend ahead of time so that you can actually, for example, put in a, a faster uplink if you need to, if the, the applications are, are increasing. You know, we've certainly seen that as we've come through COVID, a lot more use of video conferencing at customers. And I think that's driving, you know, the networks need to adapt as the the apps and the bandwidth goes up. Yeah. What's the cost equation um, here? Um, because you're, you're talking not just about um, solving problems quicker, but it's, it's really the next step in overall automation, isn't it? Um, and, and presumably the, the, there are some incredible efficiencies and cost savings that come from this. Can you quantify them at all in terms of your, your, your learned experiences so far? Yeah, I mean, definitely, I mean, cost optimization is a big one. I mean, we, we look at, I talked about, you know, more devices coming into the network. You know, traditionally how you would solve that would be hire more IT people or support staff to manage all these devices. I think this is where AI is a huge opportunity to automate a lot of those um, workflows so you can, you know, support more devices or more apps um, without having to necessarily increase the staff and cost. Um, so that's a, a, a big thing for customers. I think the other big one is, you know, shifting to the cloud has been big from managing costs and moving to an OpEx model um, away from, you know, a CapEx where you're deploying appliances on site. And I think that plays well into, you know, telcos who are selling to enterprises, you know, it makes it easier for them to roll out a service more widely and, and be more agile. You know, as the customer, let's say they go deploy a branch and they want to start deploying additional sites, you know, it's easy for them to scale up their business. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What do you see is the future for AI? I mean, it's hardly a static area. It's dynamic and by its very definition, it's self-learning. <laughs> so it's, it's it, it, it changes um, exponentially in a way that we haven't seen before with prior technologies, just by sheer definition of what it is. What, what what do you see? Where do you see it heading in in terms of networking, and and also specifically with telcos themselves? You know those bigger mass networks. What where, where do you see five to ten years time? Yeah, so I think you know we are starting to see more customers starting to look at leveraging AI, um, and a lot of it driven by some of the outcomes that you know early adopters are seeing. Um, I think one of the the things that needs to be overcome as you know organizations look at it is building trust. Um, and that's one of the things that we've you know looked at. we've built into the system. So we have, for example, a feedback mechanism. You know when AI detects an issue um, and either reports it to IT or resolves it automatically, um, IT can basically review those AI actions so that they can effectively give the feedback to the system. Was it a false positive? Did it find the right um, root cause? Um, that way, one, the AI engine can learn and get better, but also it helps the IT team build trust in it, right, as they're giving that feedback. So I think, you know, any vendor looking at these sorts of technologies should also be looking at the feedback loop. Um, and that's something that we do within you know, the engineering and, and customer support function too is, 
we actually maintain an ongoing graph of you know how effective the AI is, did it have the data, and then we feed it back into our software. So if, for example, we're hitting a lot of problems that the AI couldn't solve, then you know either it's it didn't know how to solve it or maybe it didn't have the data. So we start to you know adjust the system so it collects the right data so it can ultimately solve more of the problems. I, I think it's it's very interesting hearing the way you're pitching it because we live in a very choppy, turbulent economic environment right now. And mm -hmm. the message I'm getting from you is that this just basically solves problems, eliminates cost, and creates more certainty, which is the sorts of messages that corporates like to hear in times like this. So, so in that sense, do you think the economic time suit AI in terms of an openness to adoption of it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, you know, you look at what is going on and, you know, it is a way that customers can actually solve or help solve some of these problems, right, is leverage AI and automation um, so that, you know, either they can not have to hire more people to support the network or, you know, shift those resources into other areas like strategic projects instead of, you know, running the network. Yeah, I mean, I think that the other one was, you know, the shift to the cloud, I think was, you know, the one I think before AI, like with the pandemic that accelerated a lot of businesses looking at how do we leverage cloud, move away from having everything sitting on premises. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, um, just a final question. You, you, I don't know how often Australia comes on your radar, because obviously you've got a, a broad remit. Um, but you're in Australia right now, and how do you see um, the local market in terms of where Juniper sits in it and the market overall compared to what you're seeing overseas? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, you know, I, I see in a lot of cases Australia leading the market for APAC in terms of adoption. So, you know, I mean, I've seen that over the years is quite often, you know, technologies, um, you know, they will actually roll out here and then expand to other areas of of Asia um, within the region. So, yeah, I definitely say Australia is, you know, <clears throat> more, you know, forward thinking in terms of looking at new technologies. Okay. Well, look, thank, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate mm -hmm. it. I'm sure you've got a busy schedule here for the next few days. And um, best of luck with the Gartner Symposium next week. And luckily, it's in a warmer, a warmer part of Australia. <laughs> yeah. So, so ho hopefully, that all goes well for you. Yep. Excited. Uh, excited to uh, to hear from our customers and then meet uh, some of the other folks. Well, that's it for Comms Day Live this time. We'll see you again soon.